0: Clear my sinuses. I'll snore all night. Gee, if your kid spills his milk, what do you do? Slap him in the head? What? 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 What is that supposed to mean? You're not a very tolerant person. Look, you've been under my skin since New York, starting with ripping off my cap. How'd you like a mouthful of teeth? Oh, and hostile, too. Nice personality combination. Hostile and intolerant. Well, who let you stay in the room? I even let you pay for it so you wouldn't feel like an intruder, which you most certainly are. I'm an intruder. Yes, you're an intruder. I was having a perfectly nice trip until you walked into my life. I walked into your life? Who was that who talked my ear off on the plane? Who was that? I'm curious. Well, who told you to book a room? I did, out of the goodness of my dumb old hearts. Well, go ahead, sleep in the lobby, see if I care. I hope you wake up so stiff you can't even move. You're no saint. you got a free cab, you got a free room, and someone who'll listen to your boring stories... I mean, didn't didn't you notice on the plane when you started talking? Eventually, I started reading the vomit bag. Didn't that give you some sort of clue? Like, hey, maybe this guy's not enjoying it. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. You choose things that are that are funny or or mildly amusing or interesting. You're a miracle. Your stories have none of that. They're not even amusing accidentally. Honey, I'd I'd like you to meet Del Griffith. He's got some amusing anecdotes for you. Oh, and here's a gun so you can blow your brains out. You'll thank me for it. (sighs) I I I could tolerate any any insurance seminar. For days, I could sit there and listen to them go on and on with a big smile on my face. They'd say, how can you stand it? And I'd say, because I've been with Del Griffith, I can take anything. You know what they'd say? They'd say... I know what you mean, the shower curtain ring guy. Whoa, it's it's like going on a date with a chatty Kathy doll. I expect you have a little string on your chest, you know, that I pull out and have to snap back. Except I wouldn't pull it out and snap it back. You would. Ah, 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 ah. And by the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea: have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener.
1: That's anger gone bad, isn't it? And that's typical. That is so typical. They say a temper is such a valuable thing that it's a shame to lose it. It's valuable when you use it correctly. And some of you may have started tensing up while that was on because you've been on the receiving side of that and you know how hurtful it can be. And some of you are probably uncomfortable because maybe that hurtful person is actually you. This world is filled with examples that we would be wise not to model. But sadly, we we go with the flow. We do as others do. And then we wonder why we're not experiencing God's will in our lives. We want to live typically but expect atypical results. God wants us to live differently too. But what we think we need and how we're to go about doing that is vastly different than what God would recommend for us. And that's what this series is about. It's about not being typical, but living your Christian life, living out Christ within you. We, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, we focus on the external, the action, the thing that we can point to and everybody else can see. We like to check off of our Christian list, right? Like I go to church, I don't murder, I don't lie. I mean, I don't want everything in the world, but maybe a few more things. God's calling us to live a different life through Jesus Christ, a life that is completely different. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad there's another option because I am tired of typical. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' teaching from the mountainside where he said over and over again things like, you've heard it said, but I tell you. He was challenging the Jewish leaders of the day because they were trying to call him out on how to live life. And for them, it was about meticulously following the law. And so Jesus basically said, Listen, you think I'm coming to say that the law is not important? I'm telling you that it is. But you are focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on this external so everybody can see. And you're missing out on the original intent. It has to do with the inside. It is spiritual in nature. And then Paul champions this message even further. In Romans twelve two. he says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Are you looking for change in your life? Does a new life sound refreshing? Are you struggling to find out God's will for your life? Well, begin today. Let him start to transform the way you act and the way that you think. Setting the record straight on anger is so important. We've got to get answers to the questions like, is it okay to be angry? What are we to get angry over? How long should we be angry? And how should we express that anger? Anger is such a misunderstood emotion. It's actually been compared to a camel. Check out these facts on a camel. The camel, although a very useful animal, is one of the ugliest, most stubborn, and dangerous of all the so-called tame animals. The camel can kick sideways as well as forward and backward, and it has a very nasty bite. It can stretch its long, goosy neck around and bite you. It can also turn around and discharge saliva right in your face. And with that spit comes this very offensive odor. Sometimes it just turns its face around and simply looks at the rider. The camel can drop its head between the two front legs and look backward with an upside-down face. The camel can be very useful, but it can be one nasty, ugly creature as well. And sadly, our understanding of anger is clouded because typically what we see is expressions of anger that are dangerous. It's the bad expressions of anger. A dictionary will define anger as a state of irritability or, or displeasure. And then medical doctors will tell you, well, what your, your body actually goes through physical changes when you're angry. Your, your heart will begin to accelerate. Your breathing will deepen. And your blood will actually shift from the stomach and the intestines to stuff like the muscles and the heart. And your body will uh, produce adrenaline. So you get this energy about you to accomplish a task. And so I ask ourselves this morning, how do we invest that energy? And what do we invest that energy in? And Paul would say, do not look to the world for an answer to that question. I was sitting at the breakfast table earlier this week, and I, you know, Kim and the kids were there, and I said, listen, I'm going to be doing a talk on anger So do you guys have any stories about me and anger? And before I could even finish, Kim said, Oh, I do, but I'm not sure you're going to want to be airing those out on a Sunday morning. Um, But to her credit, you know, I was feeling pretty good until then. But to her credit, she went on to share some of her own stories about anger gone bad. What's sad is when I say the word anger or angry, we immediately start thinking of certain things. We think of that person that's always on edge, right? You just say something to this person and they explode. They're always grumpy. Anything sets them off. A drop of a hat will. Or you think about that always right person. This is the person that's very argumentative, right? It's their way or the highway. I'm right, you are wrong. Or you think of that bitter person who is always reliving real things from the past, but since they were not pleasant then the present cannot be pleasant as well. And so they're always angry. Then you think of that person that just keeps it down inside, right? That person that if nobody can detect their anger, then they're not angry. And then you think about the, that violent person. That's the one we always think of, the one who inflicts pain. And their behaviors range from anything, from abuse all the way to murder. And they leave behind them this huge trail of destruction. Now if you're like me, you look at the list and you're not thinking, well there's me and there's me. No, you're thinking, oh, there's that person and there's that person. So in case you haven't found yourself in that list, let's let's talk about a couple other behaviors that usually are not associated with anger, but they actually are. So how about these? See if you can find yourself in one of these. Do you want to seek revenge on somebody? Now you may not say it, but have you thought it? Are you wishing misfortune on someone? Are you constantly cursing at things and people and you rationalize it saying, they need the kick in the pants. That's, that's what this, this industry, that's the language, language it operates on. Are you constantly grumbling? Are you a cynic? Are you at a point where you just don't care anymore? That's where you arrive. And are you angry right now at me for even bringing any of this stuff up? Right? All of those things, both of those lists, our bad anger, unholy anger, things we are not to model. Why? Why shouldn't we do that stuff? Couple reasons. Because it destroys. That kind of anger destroys. It doesn't tear it doesn't build people up, it tears people down, it rips them apart. It's reactive. That kind of anger also blinds us because again, it's it's who's right, not what's right. So it's all about I'm pointing my finger at you. I don't see myself. It's blinding me from seeing what's really going on. And then this kind of anger also enslaves us. It enslaves the angry person because they typically get what they want, right? And then the person on the other side of that will usually do what they say. And so, in essence, both of them the angry person is a god to that person who is on the other end. And then the anger becomes that angry person's own God. So it enslaves us. There is no freedom in any of that. None at all. So why would we even do it? If you said to me, hey, Rob, I got, this, I got this excellent technique on how to handle things. It's pretty effective. But I want to tell you some of the side effects. Let me know if you're interested. First of all, it could create destruction, loneliness, rejection, blurred vision, pride. I would say, no, I'm not, I'm not interested one bit. So, why do we express our anger in this way? A couple reasons. It's seductive because it gets results. I mean, you end up getting what you want because you, you have this unhealthy power and control that usually makes people comply. And so it gets things done. And when people comply, then you feel good because you got accomplished what you wanted to have accomplished. But oh, it is so short lived. Because at the same time that it is seductive, it is also deceiving. You go from feeling good to feeling bad. I don't know about any of you, but I have gone home sometimes because I hadn't finished processing my day. And I'll get home and I will be snappy at my family members, one of them. And no sooner do I do that, that I then start to feel guilty and shameful about my behavior. Right? Right? And then if you're constantly an angry person, then I can guarantee you that you're not only feeling shameful and guilty, but you're probably feeling rejected and lonely. Why? Because those around you are looking to be where you are not. They are heeding the advice of Proverbs 22, verse 24, where it says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Bad anger is deceiving, but it also camouflages things. It camouflages the real problem because we get results, we feel good, and we never really address the issue that's really going on. So these are behaviors that we are not to copy. And when you spell it out like that, it seems so obvious. It seems ludicrous to even talk about this, right? But we do it. I want you to write down some verses this morning because we're going to go through them. James 1:19. Good, they're up there. Matthew 5:21 through 22. 1 John 3:15 and Ephesians 4:26 and 27. We're going to spend the rest of the time going over God's perspective on anger. And hopefully we will grasp what that is. What he has to say about anger. And then may we all be challenged to live out today's bottom line. And that is, my anger is an opportunity to imitate Christ. Are we going to get angry over the things that he gets angry over? And are we going to express that anger in a holy way? Anger is so important to God. Why? Because it makes a value judgment. It says, this is what is important. And with human anger... What is important is what I think and who I think is wrong. Look at James one twenty. It says, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Bad anger flat out does not work in God's eyes whatsoever. It goes against what he would have us do. And James says that it will not yield a life that is right with God. He would not approve. And when we do things that God does not approve of, what is that? That is sin. So expressing human anger in that way, that is sinful. Now you may be thinking, okay, well, that that was a pretty long list. Maybe there are a few of those expressions of anger that are okay, right? They're, They're kind of permissible. When we do that, we're acting just like the Jewish leaders of Christ's time because repeatedly they challenge Jesus, either indirectly or directly about that. They were always trying to draw a line in the sand and put themselves on the most favorable side. So they would ask Jesus questions like, "Uh, can you kind of give me the details about who's my neighbor? Or "Um, Jesus, our guys are fasting. Why aren't your guys fasting? Or Jesus, hey, on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any work, but uh, I think I caught you healing. What's up with that? And Jesus turned their world upside down when he was doing the teaching on the mountainside, that sermon on the mount. Look at what he says in Matthew five twenty-one and 22. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. We can stop looking for any loopholes in our anger or any permissible anger. The meaning of anger in this passage, what it means is an anger against people. And I like how it says an anger that is nursed. I don't know if you ever felt that, but inside I have felt before where that anger becomes nursed. And that's what this Greek word is actually getting at, an anger against people. And Jesus equates that judgment of one who is angry at someone else with that of the judgment of a murderer. And then he goes a step further. Look in the next verse. He says, again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of of hell. Here, he's getting at the more useless forms of anger, name-calling. When you say, Raka, it means empty-headed. It means like saying, you idiot. And then Jesus says, furthermore, when you say that kind of thing, it just causes somebody else to get angry and say, you fool. And what does he say about those? Are they less important? No, they are all sinful expressions of anger. First John 3.15 nets this out for us. Anyone who hates, that's present tense, his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Now, the point is not that we should not get angry. Because, in fact, Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger do not sin. So there is this notion of good and holy anger. And if my anger is going to be an opportunity to imitate Christ, then I need to get angry over what he gets angry over. And his anger is targeted at what is wrong, not who is wrong. And if you read through the Gospels, you can see what Jesus gets angry at. He gets angry at injustices done in the name of God. He gets angry at humanity putting themselves above God and trying to live independently. And Jesus always acted out of the heart and will of his Father. You hear him say that over and over again. Now, human anger always acts out of our own heart and our own will. But Jesus' anger is connected with his love for us. I love what Winston Smith said in his article, Anger in Marriage. He expresses the difference between human anger and godly anger beautifully. He says, God's anger does not destroy what is already broken, but repairs what needs to be repaired. God's anger does not destroy what is already broken, but repairs what needs to be repaired. If you go back to Genesis 3, you see humanity putting themselves above God. And then if you fast forward to today, you see the same thing. You see us trying to live our lives out independent of God, right? Well, that's sin and that separates us from God. Now, he didn't decide to just destroy humanity forever. He decided to repair what was broken. He made the first move. He went to Abram and said, I am going to bless you. I am going to make your name great. And then I am going to bless all people through you. And over and over again in the New Testament, you see God upholding that promise, even when the Israelites failed to obey him. Yes, God disciplined them in their disobedience. But every single time he provided a path back to him, a path of redemption with the ultimate path of redemption being the cross, fixing what man could not fix themselves, allowing us to choose him to cover our sin and restore that relationship. What a completely different picture of anger, right? Human anger versus godly anger. Godly anger, some of the qualities I get out of that is godly anger redeems. Do you love even when you are angry? Does your anger bring together or does it separate? Does it repair or does it destroy? God's anger also attacks sin, not people. Where is your anger targeted? Is it at things that threaten love or things that you love? God's anger is also honest. He's clear and he seeks to understand and he's clear about what is expected. that's what scripture tries to get at. And where is your anger? Do you even understand it? Is it clear to you? God's anger is patient. It's, It's controlled. Or you go back to Genesis 3. There are thousands of years between Genesis 3 and the cross. I would say that God is patient and slow to anger. The other quality I see is it is sacrificial. God's anger is sacrificial. It's concerned with the welfare of others. It keeps eternity in mind. And do you think about eternity in your anger? Or do you think just about that circumstance and that moment? What a completely different picture of anger. You might be saying, okay, Rob, I totally get it, okay? I'm not to act this way, and I'm supposed to be Christ-like in my anger, but how in the world do I do that? If you spend time in the New Testament, and you look at like Paul's letters in Ephesians 4, you'll, you'll read about... The taking off or the putting off of your old self and putting on the new self of Christ. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And before we do that, I want to share a story because I'm going to use it throughout this. I've shared before that um, my dad was my music teacher in high school and I played trumpet and uh, I was also in the marching band. And so one day we're out practicing like we normally would do out in the field and uh, dad's up in the press box and I'm down there and I hear, Rob it! Now, he calls me Robert because I'm from up north and there's no R's. So he says, Robert. I said, what? Get up front and, and conduct the Star Spangled Banner. I said, I said, what? He said, get up there and conduct the Star Spangled Banner. And so I yelled, no. <laughs> he yells, what? I said, no, I'm not going up there. And so that, that wasn't the end of the story, but I'm going to leave it there right now because that was a bad example of how to handle anger on my part. And if I only knew then what I know now, I would have reacted differently in a lot of situations in my life. Because in our anger, we must be aware of what gets us angry. We know there are some things that we just know are going to set us off. So we need to be aware of what those are. And then when we're in the moment, You may be in a a different scenario, and it may not be that thing that sets you off. So we need to know what is the source of our anger. I was taking a class a couple uh, months ago, and the professor said, never say you're angry again. He he said, anger is a secondary emotion. Usually something else is going on. So don't say that. You're usually living in the past, the present, or the future. I'm like, wow, you got it covered there. Um, (laughs) But what he went on to say was, You're living in the past. You are angry because you are hurt over something. Or you're living in the present. You are angry because you are frustrated over something. Or you're living in the future because you are scared or fearful of something. I went, hmm. I started playing some of the, you know, I went back to some things. Like I remember in middle school, I played basketball. And I typically would play in the game. But this one day, the, the coach did not put me in at all. And so, eight seconds left in the half. Eight seconds. He goes, Perry. What? Get in. I'm not going in with eight seconds. Get in the game. I'm not going in, coach. He goes, well, then you can go to the locker room. Fine. <laughs> I go to the locker room. Now, what was going on there for me? My pride was hurt. That's what was going on. So I, I played this through some more to see if that kind of works—the past, present, future thing—and it did. So I called. I actually did this. Asked my kids and my wife. I called a family meeting. This a, a couple weeks ago. I sat everybody down and said, "Never say that you're angry again, okay? Because it's usually because you're you're hurt, or you're frustrated, or you're fearful of something." And so we actually have started doing that as a family. And you would not believe how that how much that helps when you're when you've got an angry situation, if somebody says, I'm hurt because, wow, now you have something to work with. So you'd be surprised. One of the ways to help you be aware is to do something like that. But to be aware, we need to heed the advice of James 1.19. It says, my brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Being quick to listen and slow to speak will give you the time to ask questions like that, to examine yourself, to know what is really going on. Because if I would have done that when I was out there on the field that day, I was not angry because dad asked me to do something that I didn't want to that I didn't do. What was really going on was that I was scared why? Because I had never conducted the Star Spangled Banner before, and now he's asking me to do that in, the front, in front of all my f- peers. So I was scared I was going fi- to fail. That's what was going on during that time. If I only had taken the time to understand what the source of my anger was. Now, in addition to being aware, we also must take responsibility for it. We need to remember we can be angry and not sin in the process. So we need to commit to getting angry over the right things and getting angry or expressing that anger in a holy way. And then finally, we've got to process that anger. We need to know who or what is going to control us when we're angry. Look at Ephesians 4:26, the rest of 26 and 27. It says, "Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold." It's getting at doing it quickly. Otherwise, you're leaving the door open for Satan to come on in. And I can guarantee you that the end result of that is not going to be good anger at all. Now, do not let the sun go down does not mean that you tap your wife right before you go to bed and say, hey, we've got, we got to settle this. Or that you call your, your friend and say, hey, we've got to settle this and it's 11 o'clock at night. It helps us to understand that this passage in Ephesians 4 is a direct quote out of Psalm 4, 4. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. And this, this correlates for me because Jesus was always getting at challenging us to get at the inside, get at the heart. And so in our anger, what we need to do is bring it to God before we bring it anywhere else. We need to get silent with God that day. That's the important thing. And ask him to help you understand this anger, to search you and help you process that anger. When I look back to that day on the field, how did my dad respond after I said that last, no, he did not come down out of that press box and grab me by the shirt and throw me up there and say, now you do what I said and cussed and do all that, he didn't do that. Instead, he took a different path. He was aware of what made him angry, and that was a disobedient son. But at the same time, because he loved me and he knew me, he knew that a son who was holding himself back because he was trying to be perfect about things, and that's why he was getting upset in that moment. But he took responsibility and committed himself not to handle the anger in such a way that it would not demonstrate his love for me. Instead, he let his love for me control how he responded. What happened after that, after I said my last no? Well, we would drive together to and from school. And all I remember was some quiet days. I don't know if it was one day, two days, three days, but it was quiet. It was silent in the van until one morning, I came to get in the car, and on the seat was a letter. My dad had taken the time to explain to me why he was angry. He was being honest about it, and he was being encouraging, trying to call out those qualities in me and things that he saw in me and why he got frustrated. And at the end, there was an invitation to talk again. My anger can be an opportunity To imitate Christ. What is your anger saying to others? Is it preventing them from seeing Christ? Are you quick to react in your anger? Is your anger just energy that's being destructive and used unwisely? Listen, that is typical. And God calls us to a whole new way of life. A new way of doing anger. An anger that stands up for his will, not ours. An anger over what is wrong, not who who is wrong in anger that considers the welfare of others in anger that destroys the wrong, but restores the relationship and an anger that is played out in the context of a life that is slow to get anger, that is compassionate and gracious and abounding in love. So this morning, do not copy the customs and behaviors of this world. Instead, let God begin to transform your heart. It only takes a willingness of your heart. Start today to understand his will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Stop settling for typical.